You are listening to the podcast of the Y Church of the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. 2 Peter 3, 1-9 Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the Holy Prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. All right, thanks, Craig. Well, we celebrated a little milestone at our house that appeared in the mailbox yesterday. One of the last pieces of paperwork that we've been needing since the adoption of our youngest children was to get their new social security numbers and cards. I don't know if you know this, but trying to get an appointment at the social security office is like trying to get into the Super Bowl. It was an adventure. For the longest while, I'd call and just get disconnected. And eventually I could wait on hold. Like while I was working, I'd have it on speaker and just wait. And finally I got through and I spoke to a real human being And I got an appointment in St. Cloud six weeks out. That's kind of the way it works. So that appointment was to start this past week on Monday. I drove to St. Cloud and turned over every supporting document and piece of paper that I could find. I stood at the counter for 45 minutes while she typed in everything that we needed. And then it was done. And on the way home, I got a celebratory piece of coffee cake at Starbucks. Just, <laughs> I felt like I'd earned it. I don't know if you have to justify those purchases that way. I should add, in defense of the Social Security Administration, the lady who helped me was fantastic. So once I got there and got to see her, she was very kind and on her game and patient. And when we were finished with the appointment, she said to me, the kids will have their new numbers assigned by tomorrow, and you'll have them in the mail in the next few days. And so that's what we found yesterday. Open up the mailbox, and here were these long-awaited Social Security cards. The funny thing was, you know, celebrating that kind of thing really meant nothing to the youngest kids. The three-year-old was going to take his and stick it in his wallet, though he doesn't even own a wallet. But we celebrated nonetheless as we reached that milestone. So when have you had to practice patience? I hope you enjoyed kicking around the table question. And sharing some fun responses, maybe to some more serious responses, certainly, with this kind of question. The very word, patience, assumes that it doesn't come easy. It's accompanied by having to wait. 
And it is much more natural to be impatient. And my social security example is just a mundane one. But patience, we know, can come through real adversity or the sheer length of wait. And there are times when you might wonder why God is waiting. Or you might wonder if Jesus is ever coming back like we talk about. Maybe this whole thing, the Bible, Jesus, and all of it is just make-believe. In waiting, you can begin to wonder. Last week, we paused our series in Second Peter as we were joined by Dr. Kevin Van Lant, who was here as our guest speaker for the marriage event the night before. His message last Sunday was such a powerful and timely word, and many of you reached out looking for it, or the, you, know, you can find it on our YouTube channel or podcast or our Facebook page. He spoke as a clinical psychologist on finding meaning and purpose in our pain looking at the book of Romans. And so if you missed it, I encourage you to go find that and, and listen in from last week. Now, that was a one-week pause. We return to Second Peter and what it means for you and I to wait on God's promises. Something that I would say is not altogether unrelated from last week's message. And we're going to spend the next two Sundays in the final chapter of Second Peter before then we arrive at the season of Lent, the 40 days that lead us toward Easter, And we'll move into our Lenten series on prayer. But for today, we'll first work through the meaning of the passage. Let's understand together what Peter said. And then we'll finish with a focus on the patient plan of God. So join me in the text, 2 Peter 3.1 as we begin. Dear friends, he writes, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. Now, dear friends is really too weak of a translation. The word there is one word in Greek, and it is the word beloved. Beloved, he writes to these folks. And I realize I misspoke a couple weeks ago when I said Peter was writing, I had said to the church in Rome, but it's Peter who is in Rome, and he's writing to these churches in the northern province of Turkey. At the end of the message, we're going to return to Turkey, so we'll hold on to that. But he calls them beloved. Why is that? Is it a sign of his affection for them? Yes, absolutely. But also, and even more so, it's a sign of God's affection for them. They are called beloved because they are the recipients of God's saving love. And Peter says to them, well, this is letter number two I'm sending you. And we, by the way, we studied 1 Peter back in 2020. And he says, both of these letters are reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I sat in the back of the bus for our student ministry trip when we went to Powder Ridge skiing. And it brought back memories of when I was in high school going on student ministry trips and on ski trips. And you may know the back of the bus is not particularly known for wholesome thinking. (laughs) But we all, me included, we need this reminder. It's easy to let our mind and our thinking fall asleep. And it's so easy to be entertained by the wrong things. But Peter says, here's how to stir up wholesome thinking. Thinking that is pure and right and good. And he gives us verse 2. He says, I want you to recall the words of the prophets and the command of our Lord and Savior through the apostles. So you look at that. What are those two categories? The prophets will be the Old Testament. 
And Jesus in the message of the apostles is the new. So what is he saying? He's saying, I want you to recall God's word. Need wholesome thinking? This will do it. Here's how that gets stirred up for you and I. This will wake you up. I think of it as a spiritual cup of coffee that you might have in the morning. Reminders in the Bible are meant to grab a hold of you as a whole person. They're meant to energize you with the power of the gospel and the truth of God's word. And like that morning cup of coffee, in a sense, it sends you out the door ready once again to walk with God and to live today for his glory. And then Peter gives us the particular reason that he is thinking on these things. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. And they will say, where is this coming, he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. First of all, as we look at the text, this will happen in the last days, Peter says. And that's now. The era called the last days was inaugurated with the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's the era of the church that you and I are in, where we get to spread the gospel. Jesus passes the baton to us. And we get to take the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. And then Christ will come again. So writing to the church in these last days, why does Peter want to wake up their thinking and remind them of the word? Because, it says, scoffers, mockers of God, are waiting outside your door. And they will laugh at the things of Christ. They think your faith is uninformed and they follow their own agenda. And here's the content of what they're saying. This would be verse 4, and I'll just put it in my paraphrase. Where is this promised second coming? You say Jesus is coming again? Well, where is he? Ever since our ancestors, everything just goes on the same. Since creation, I don't see the sky splitting open and God walking through. Looks like the joke's on you. And this is 2,000 years ago, but... It's really no different in our own time. People will scoff and mock and jest about God. In fact, I would say that cynicism has become culturally the sign of any serious thinker or comedian or influencer. And the challenge for Christians, those who are actively following Christ, is that it's so easy to fall under the influence, fall under the sway of that, and to relinquish your faith. And you might find yourself at whatever age and stage of life you're in, you might start saying, well, I I guess I can't take this stuff so seriously. They make a good point. And I don't have an answer. God isn't showing up. But Peter is going to respond to the cynics in his day with a three-pronged argument. And we're not going to spend long on these, but I really feel this is a passage that can be tough, especially in the middle portion. I want for you to understand the passage, and then we'll move into application. So his first argument Peter responds with is this. Number one, God has intervened. God intervened in creation, first of all. Verse five, but they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. So in other words, They're saying God never intervenes, certainly not in this kind of cosmological kind of way. Everything just operates the same since creation. And Peter pounces on that. 
And what is he saying? He's saying, by even referencing creation, you are referencing a starting point and you're making a case for God. Things don't just appear. We know that. They have a cause. And you can follow this cause and effect process all the way back to creation where now you arrive at the first cause. The one that is not dependent on anything else and that cause was God. By God's word, it says, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed. And that's what we read about in Genesis 1. Genesis 1. And God said, by his word, let there be light. And he speaks creation into existence. Now when it says the earth was formed out of water and by water, what that is not is him saying that God used water as some kind of basic building material for the earth. Rather... It's once again referencing Genesis 1 and how, if you remember the narrative, the earth and sky emerged from the water. I don't know if you've thought about this before, but the world God initially created was watery, undeveloped, and unformed. So a good number of us will immediately recognize Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But we're not as familiar with Genesis 1.2 where it says, right after that, now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So what you're imagining now is there is this canvas which God is putting into order and making it habitable for people, for his people. So the earth and sky emerge out of the waters, and God is using water as an instrument in forming the world. Now let's go to argument two. They come in quick succession in the passage, and here it is. Number two, God intervened in the flood. The verse is verse six. By these waters, also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. So that's a reference to the flood, which is why it's got a capital F at the time of Noah. And remember the scoffers' taunts. They're saying, God never intervenes. The world just hums along without him, and the last thing anyone should wait for is the return of Jesus Christ. So Peter is saying God has intervened, first at creation, and then in sending the flood. Now, we don't have time to go into Genesis 6 through 9, that whole section that talks about the flood. But notice that the same elements that brought about creation, water, and the word, God's word, are the same elements that bring about the flood. God looks at this absolute evil and corruption that has overwhelmed the world, and he says in Genesis, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, for I regret that I have made them. And so we see this is not just a natural disaster that takes place, but the flood is God's judgment against evil, appointed by his word and effected by water. And yet at the same time, it is also such a story of God's mercy. Because there's this little line that says, right after it says, I regret that I have made them, but Noah. It's a beautiful line. But Noah. There is one person who has found favor with God because he's remained faithful. And so God saved Noah and his family in the ark. But then quickly we come to Peter's third argument. And this one now is going to look forward. Number three, God will intervene in the end. Verse seven, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, 
being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Now remember what this is all in response to. We're going to keep coming back to that. They're saying, where is the second coming of Jesus? Guess God isn't coming after all. And it follows from that then that if that's the case, well then there's no day of judgment when God would call everyone into account, which means you can do whatever you want to do. You don't answer to anybody. And Peter is reminding his readers of what is said all over the Bible, that the day of the Lord is coming. That judgment is no myth. God will intervene yet again, just as he promised. And on that day, heaven and earth will give way to what Revelation says is a new heaven and a new earth, and the old will be done away with, not by flood this time, but by fire. So does God intervene? Will he intervene? Yes, he does. And yes, he will. But in the meantime, to come back to our overarching theme today, we're having to wait. We're waiting. And scoffers and cynics will have a heyday as you wait. They will sow doubt among those who believe in Christ. They will confuse and anesthetize our minds. The way that they live will start to appear awfully attractive. And down the road we go. But Peter has one more thing to say about all this. And now we get to this theme of the patient plan of God. So he's made his case. And then we arrive at verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends, beloved. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. If you've ever been on a road trip with young kids, you know the refrain that can come from the back seat. Are we there yet? A few hours in the car can feel like an eternity to a little kid. And our relationship to time, compared to God's relationship to time, is no different. So here we are, yelling from the back seat, God, are we there yet? This is taking forever. But God is on a different timetable. I love how one writer described it. He said, what seems agonizingly long to us is a whisker of time to him. And his apparent delay should not dampen your faith. For there's a purpose to God's waiting. And this is so key. It is the final verse that we'll look at. Verse 9. This is why. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. What's the purpose? Why the wait? God is giving people time to respond, he's patient. And his patience is motivated by compassion. He doesn't want anyone to perish. If we turn this world into a sinking ship, and we have, he wants as many people as possible to get onto the rescue boat of his love. To repent, it says. To leave sin behind and to walk with him like Noah did. So he's ordained this season that you and I live in, the season of the church, to take the good news of Jesus to everyone that we possibly can. 
Just this week, I got to watch a video of Dr. Tom Jurgens on that mission trip to Mongolia. This was several years ago. And he's in the middle of nowhere in Mongolia. And it's a cell phone video of him sharing the good news of Jesus with all these Mongolian herdsmen lined up. It's beautiful. The message today is for all of us who grow weary or wonder about the weight or who are prone to wander off. And it is a reminder that God is real. This book is true. And Jesus is coming back just as he promised. It's good to remember these things. I want to put up a couple photos as we come into the home stretch here. Just from this past week. The one on the left is from the earthquake that hit Turkey and Syria on Monday. I don't know about you, but I think as a Minnesotan, it's hard to comprehend the devastation of this kind of natural disaster. As somebody put it in U.S. terms, if the epicenter had been New York City, then the scope of this earthquake's devastation would have reached along the eastern seaboard further than Boston to D.C. To date, as of this morning, there are 28,000 people who've lost their life, and that number certainly is going to continue to climb. And you take in this kind of news this week, and you see the pictures, and you might really wonder... I mean, you might look at this and say, God, where are you? What is taking so long? Are you ever finally going to come and put things in order? Are you going to intervene? The second picture that you see on the screen is a much different kind of picture. It's my grandma on hospice care. And she's lived a long, good life. She's almost 93, but... And I know so many of you have walked through this. To watch someone's body slowly succumb to disease, it is hard to do. And in a sense, I feel like for my grandma, that's been happening for the past several years as she has Alzheimer's. But now especially in hospice, you hold her hand and you just sit there and you think, and the book of Revelation comes to mind, come Lord Jesus. Some of you have held that hand. Why? Why the wait? What's the point of this? How much longer do we need to wait? But then there's this picture. And the story that I want to tell you to close. The story of Al Fadi. Al was born in Saudi Arabia to a devout Muslim family. And by the time he was 12, he had memorized half of the Quran. And he had set the goal for himself to memorize the entire thing. At age 15, he was fully prepared to head to Afghanistan to fight in this holy war that was going on at the time alongside Osama bin Laden against the Soviet Union that was in Afghanistan. And it was only because of the voice of his mother pleading with him, begging him not to go, that he decided to stay back. And as he grew and Grew in years, he continued to memorize the Quran, and the first hints of doubt started to come into his mind. And he would read these things that were inconsistent and that didn't make sense and didn't stack up, and yet he had nowhere to take those questions. It would have jeopardized his safety. So he finishes college in Saudi Arabia, and then Al comes to the United States. He's accepted into a graduate program for engineering. 
But that posed a problem for him because he had avoided Christians his entire life because it was a clear deviation from Islam. And he knew there are Christians living in the United States that I might run into. And yet, nevertheless, this was the best place in the world to study engineering. And so he came for his graduate education. Well, after the first month of just being holed up in his dorm, essentially attending class and going back to his dorm, he realized he needed to gain some English language experience. And so he signed up for a program called the International Friendship Program. And what it did was pair students like Al, international students, with an American family who were there to provide help and hospitality. Now what Al did not know is that International Friendship Program is a Christian ministry. So two weeks after he signs up, a couple contacts him, and for the next seven months, they show Al the kind of care and love that just blew his mind. I mean, he never expected to encounter that, least of all in the United States. And he wrote in his biography, if you've never discovered biography, by the way, as a category, Christian biography, missionary biography, it's amazing. So here's what he writes. In November, this family invited me to their home for, what do you think, in November? Thanksgiving. Only then did I realize, this is after seven months, by the way. Only then did I realize that this was a Christian family. Because they asked if they could pray before the meal. He says, I admit that my heart sank at this moment. I had never realized that Christians are actually filled with love and not hate. And when Al left their home that Thanksgiving evening, he went home vowing to do as much research as possible into Christianity, hoping to learn more about how Jesus could make such a profound difference in someone's life. And it's an incredible story then over the months and years that takes place. But in May of 2001, going against everything in his Muslim faith that he had been taught, Al went to a Christian church for the very first time. Imagine him walking through our doors. And over the course of the next six months, as the church studied the Gospel of John, he learned about who Jesus really is. And then in November of 2001, here's what he says, without a shadow of a doubt, I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. Why the wait? Because of people like Al. People in the Mongolian hill country. Our friends and neighbors here in Elk River. God's patience is because of his love. He has a plan. His promises are true. And one day, beloved, we'll get to see it. Let's pray together. Lord, we're so grateful this morning to come back and to open the pages of your word and to focus once again on great and precious promises that you have spoken to us. And Lord, I would just guess that there's some of us here where the waiting is feeling awfully long. And there's some among us, Lord, too, where real doubt has crept in or, or maybe we've started to get this mixed up with stuff that that really isn't the best for us. 
And I pray, Lord, that there would be something about this morning that would stimulate the wholesome thinking of your people here. And that we would be energized anew with the truth and power of the gospel. Lord, we thank you for these stories, a story like Al's that started on the other side of the world. And we pray, Lord, that in our time and in our day, in our community, that you would continue to write these stories. And would you use us, Lord, out of your mercy to do it. We love you, Lord. We're so grateful that we have this promise that you will come again. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.